my word of welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. Uh, we're in the third week of a series that we've, we have uh, entitled, When Life Disappoints. And John writes, Jesus knew that his mission, shout mission, mission. was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Shout, I am thirsty. Please be seated. God, we, we really do ask that you do something supernatural in these moments of teaching and listening and engaging with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, for those of you who are just joining us, we are in the third week looking at uh, really the big idea for this uh, series is captured in the question, <clears throat> how do I survive and grow uh, from the disappointments that I have encountered uh, and in some cases that I have to live with in my life. Now, one of the most recent disappointments that I have been engaged with uh, for the last several weeks has been the Warriors losing. <laughs> Horrendous disappointment, I might add. Lost by 20 plus points last night. <clears throat> However, shout out over, <laughs> there are probably a few more disappointing things, a little bit more gravity than the Warriors losing, such as when we experience the loss of a loved one, or when we attempt to recover from the loss of a marriage that we fought for and it still ended in divorce, or we had a clean bill of health after our first set of cancer treatments and we go back a year later uh, hoping for another clean bill of health and we find out bad news. Disappointment. How do we survive that kind of disappointment? And how do we actually grow through that type of disappointment? And what the gospel writers would have us to know is that if in fact we want to figure out how to live one of the places to learn from Jesus is to watch how he dies. And in the seven words or statements that he cries out from the cross, there's an enormous amount of insight and an enormous degree of, of lessons, but certainly as it relates to how to survive and grow through disappointment. So just a real quick review that I want to make for those of you who've been with us for the last couple of weeks and those just joining us by video perhaps today. <clears throat> the first thing is we remember that the Gospel of Mark reminds us that Jesus shouted from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me or abandoned me? And the insight that we get from that is that if we're going to survive and grow through our disappointment, we have to decide to own it and acknowledge it. Tell the person next to you, you've got to own it. Tell them. You, 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 you've got to own it and, 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 and acknowledge it. And as we own it and acknowledge it, there will be tears. And as we own it and acknowledge it, uh, it'll come through our prayers and our confession of scriptures. As we own it and acknowledge it, we'll find ourselves being honest with God, being honest with ourselves, and being honest with others. You've got to both own it and acknowledge it. Now, some of you have been with us for the last couple of weeks, and you've heard me make this point, and you have yet to actually own 
life's greatest disappointment for you. And so today my prayer is that at the end of this time together, if you're watching my video, that you're on it. And if that means tears have to come or a scream has to come forth, let it come forth. One of the interesting things about that cry is that Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you disappointed me? It is a reminder that for some of us, our worst and deepest disappointments are often focused on God. We feel like God let us down. And God is saying, be honest with me about it. Own it and acknowledge it. And then, of course, last week we talked about uh, when Jesus, John reminds us that he wants us to hear as his first recording of Jesus' word, uh, Jesus making a provision for his mother who's in horrendous pain at the foot of Jesus' cross watching him die. And so his crucifixion is causing her pain and he makes the decision to, in a sense, commit her to the care of his most loyal and closest disciple, uh, and vice versa. And inside of that, he reminds us that while we need to own and acknowledge our pain, we have to resist, refrain from, if you will, being lost in it. We cannot allow ourselves to get lost in our disappointment. So you've got to be proactive if you're not going to be lost in it. So uh, one thing is you, you, you've got to make the commitment that, you know what, I'm going to look around me and see how is my pain hurting others and I'm going to make sure I'm caring for others. What does that look like in your life? Maybe it looks like your disappointment has driven you into a dis dysfunction, dysfunctional pattern. So maybe you are drinking too much or trusting too little. You're trying to figure out, well, how is that impacting folk around me? What do I need to do about it? And then the second thing we learned from his being on the cross last week is not only are we called to care for others that are impacted by us, but we are called to care about others. Shout about. About. You remember we said last week, and Jesus is illustrating the opposite at this point, that pain will either close up and lock your heart. I mean, you're, 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 your disappointment can be so deep that you emerge on the other side saying, you know, I'm just not going to care about anybody else but me. And so for some of you, the prayer that you've got to be praying if you're going to move to the next level of your living is God unlock my heart, right? On the other hand, disappointment and pain has the capacity to do the opposite, to open your heart. And you suddenly find yourself not just caring about your pain, you suddenly find yourself caring about other people who are in pain. You're drawn to those people, the homeless, the hungry. You're drawn to those folk who are coming out of prison trying to be replaced. You, you, you find yourself standing up and speaking out for people for whom they are experiencing some form of injustice because you know what it's like to hurt. So you've allowed your pain to open your heart. That's what Jesus is teaching us from the cross. And of course... Final thing, from, as we think about last week, is we learned that not only do I need to own and acknowledge my, my disappointment, and not only do I need to make sure that I'm not getting lost in it by caring for and about others, but part of opening my heart and trusting again is to allow others to care for me. 
Here's what I want somebody to hear really loudly today. Are you the person locked in your own pain and disappointment? And there's somebody outside who's knocking on your heart and saying, look, I want to come in. I want to help care for you. Who's knocking on your heart that you're keeping locked out because you just can't trust them? And here's how, here's how we lock people out. We, we tend to just say to folk, you know, I'm fine. How you doing? I'm cool. I thought, oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. You need to know? Oh, no, no, no. Everything is fine. And you're falling apart inside. So last week we practiced this. Let's practice it one more time. I mean, you just, I just want to get you to you get kind of comfortable with this. Turn to the next person. Turn to the person next to you. Come on, just say, excuse me. I want you to know I'm not all right. Come on, amen. Come on, point yourself. I'm not all right. 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 All right, all right, all right, all right. Come on, I want you to get this. All right. Turn to the other person. Find somebody else that you have not. Say, excuse me. Don't get nervous. But you're not all right either. (laughs) Man, doesn't that feel good? Come on. I mean, mean, here's something else. Say this after me. Say, I'm hurt. Come on, say, I'm hurting. There's somebody in your life, maybe it's an adult child, maybe it's a spouse. You know, last week I talked about uh, the friend who remains, right? Who's the person, the colleague, the friend, the person who's saying, look, let me in. I want to help you. I want to care for you. Uh, uh, You know, somebody, you, you may be going through a deep season of grief because you've lost a loved one and Who's the person that's kind of knocking on your life and saying, tell me what can I do? Can I bring some food over a couple of times during the course of the week just so that you don't have to cook? Let them. Or maybe you, you, who's the person saying, look, you need a shoulder to cry on. Look, I'm not trying to, I'm just, I'm just here. As a matter of fact, I'll cry with you. Let them. Or the person who says, the friend who says, I'll babysit for you so that you can go to your, you can go to your counseling session so that you can begin to work through and begin to recover through the divorce. Let them. Stop trying to be Iron Woman and a Wonder Woman and Iron Man. Because in case you don't know, they are comic book figures. <laughs> Stop being so quick to say, I got it. Because at the end of the day, that means you don't have it. It has you. So open yourself up. God has put some people in your life. Let them care for you. All right, so that's a quick review. So, you know, how do I survive and grow through my disappointment? I've got to own it and acknowledge it. I've got to refuse, however, to be lost in it. So I've got to be proactive with caring for and about others. And yes, I've got to open my heart to allow at least another to care for me. And then, right here in the text, John says about Jesus, When he realized, watch this, that his mission, shout mission, was finished. Stop. 
The next thing you have to do, if you're going to survive and grow through your disappointment, you have to lock in on your life's mission. Lock in on it. Mission. Shout mission. Another word is purpose. Shout purpose. This past Friday, one of our remarkable partners invited me to come. She's a star educator in her school. She teaches in East Palo Alto. I met the principal today, and I'm not just using hyperbole. She's an amazing educator. And she invited me to uh, come and speak to her class. Uh, she's doing these different uh, teachings on the various movements in history, and she uh, was teaching about the civil rights movement, wanted me to talk about Dr. King. And so I was in a class, class of juniors. And all bright young people. And I'm, I was making the point that Dr. King was an ordinary person who had something exceptional within him. And then I asked them to ask each other, your neighbor, do you have something exceptional in, within you? And they asked, and I could tell by the kind of fumbling of the answers. I said, wait a minute, let me ask. So I, I just started going from student to student. I said, do you have something exceptional in you? And I was shocked. Because again and again, I got the answer, no, no, no. The best answer I got, somebody said, I don't know. So you know that for the next hour, the classroom became a pulpit moment for me. And I had to help them to understand if you're made in God's image, that means he put something in you that does not exist in anybody else. You have something exceptional in you. Now, ask the person next to you, do you have something exceptional in you? What's the answer? Come on, ask the other person, do you have something exceptional in you? Come on, what's the answer? It's there. All right, another way to talk about do I have something exceptional in me is this notion of, do, 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 you know, am I locked in on my life's mission? And the truth be told, that if I asked you, what's your life mission? Many who are watching my video and sitting here would simply say, I don't know. That's a good question. I've been asking that question for a long time. <laughs> Tell the person you, this is your blessed day. Tell them. I mean, you know, they'll tell them really excited. Say, wow, this is your blessed day. I'm going to tell you what your life purpose is. Boy, man, you didn't know you were going to get that. All right, here it is. Rick Warren gives us insight into this. He essentially says there's five purposes that shapes, in a sense, our life mission, what we are born to do. And we, we fall in these categories. The first thing he says is that we are formed to be a part of God's family. I'm going to tell the person next to you, you are formed to be a part of God's family. Tell them. The scripture reinforces this. Paul says uh, in Ephesians uh, 1.5 that uh, God decided in advance to adopt us, that's before the creation of the world, to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. 
This is what he wanted to do. In other words, all of creation is about him wanting to bring you into his family. And it brought him much pleasure. Wow. So if you're wondering, what am I doing sitting in a traditional church building on Springer Road on a beautiful sunshiny day when I could actually be at the beach and shooting basketball. I'm in here sitting next to the, why am I here? The answer is because God has been supernaturally, mysteriously working in your life because he's calling you to be a part of his family. That's the answer. Form for his family. Second point that uh, Rick says in terms of our purpose is that we were created to be like Christ. Tell the person next to you, you're created to be like Christ. Jesus Christ. Well, here's what Paul writes in Romans 8, 29. He says, uh, God knew uh, in advance that he uh, wanted us, uh, that the, the, his children that would be like his son. He's referring to Jesus. For God knew his people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the first fruit among many brothers and sisters. You and I are called to be like Jesus. So part of the reasons why we, we, we are part of God's family is that in God's family we learn to be like Jesus. You actually can learn to be like Jesus. He started his ministry and with prayer and fasting, 40 days, Jesus starts his ministry, prayer and fasting. On the cross, we find him at the very end of his earthly life. What is he doing? He's praying and he's quoting scripture and he's teaching us part of being like him is to learn how to engage life with prayer and to engage life with an understanding of God's word. It will nurture us in good times and bad times. So we're preparing Pastor Tilden leading an effort. We are preparing a, what we call a starting point, a set of discipleship classes. We're going to roll out in the fall so that we can help you to learn just how to do that. How to pray, how to study God's word for yourself. And then when you are committed to becoming like Christ, you know that God uses all of life, all of your trials, all of your, all of your challenges, even your temptations to help forge a Christ-like character in you. I'm calling you to be like Christ. The third thing uh, Rick says is that you are shaped to serve. Tell the person next to you, you're shaped to serve. And in this respect, he's talking about serving in the body of Christ. That is, in fact, you're a part of the family. You're called to serve in the family. And so Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul essentially says, all of you, those of you who are believers in Jesus, you, you are the body of Christ, and each of you have a part in it, which means that, 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 that there's something unique about you that this church or some church body desperately needs that comes out in your commitment to not just sit on the pew but to serve. So let me just talk to you a moment about this. If you've been here for about a year and you know you've been coming in two or three times a month, you've been worshiping, loving the singing, say wow the teaching is pretty good and Getting some stuff out of that, that's great. 
You know, you, you even met a girlfriend every now and then. <laughs> so you come back, but you're not serving. By now, if you're just on the pew and you exit, you're missing a huge part of what it means to be a part of God's family. Because you're holding back something that we desperately, desperately need. Come on, shout this with me. Worship one. Serve one. Shout again. Gusto. Worship one. Serve one. Now here's what we mean. Look, if you're going to come worship at 12 noon, well, come serve at 10. The, the, the Sunday is the big day that we do our lifting, right? Our heavy lifting where we, where we express the unconditional, extraordinary, contagious love of Jesus Christ. And it takes tons of people to help do that as broken folk come into this place. And now you say, well, I'm broken and I'm wounded. Yes, but I just taught you, don't get lost in your brokenness. The way to deal with that is to serve others. I came in here at 8 o'clock. Drove in. We had our flags up. There was nobody there to wave me in. And I thought to myself, man, where are the people? And then I remembered where they were. They're in the 12 noon gathering. Not realizing that part of their responsibility is to be there. They are uniquely shaped. You, you guys know how it is when you show up at a strange church. You come with all kinds of mythologies. You come concluding these people don't like me. They're going to talk terrible about me. I, I, I'm only here anyway because she said that she'll go out with me if I go to church. <laughs> oh my, I'm so nervous. But then when you drive up and you've got people out there waving you in. Say, hey, hey, come on. We're glad to see you. Come on in. It just makes your heart light. I'm not asking you to cut off an arm in sacrifice. Help park some cars. Be a small group leader in our children and youth ministry. Work with our kids. Be a buddy for our special needs. We're one of the few churches in the area that actually has a program that we care for special need kids. So we train one-on-one -on -one buddies to, to hook up with them. And, and, and they're going to be one. Be a buddy. Right? And if by some chance you don't really get along well with kids, okay. <laughs> Be a greeter. With a smile and a hug. Be a host. Right? If you're watching my video, find a congregation in a church that you can go serve. That's a part of connecting with new people and growing in your faith. I mean, can you put donuts in a bowl? Put an ice table, cough out, come on down and stand there. And as people come get their donuts, you smile and, 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 and reflect the sweetness in the donuts. <laughs> Shall serve. You and I, we're shaped to serve. Part of your growing. And then lastly, uh, we'll deal with the fifth one at the end of this message. Uh, Rick says... You're made for mission. Jesus is found saying something very similar to this in the Gospel of John when he is praying in chapter 17. And he says, Father, uh, just as you have sent me, I am now sending them. 
So it's not enough just to be a part of God's family. Not enough just to, uh, uh, to learn how to uh, 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 have character like Jesus. It's not enough just to serve here among the family. We serve in the family as practice for how to serve in the world. That's where our light shines. With contagious love. Now, so let me just revisit here real quickly. So, if I'm going to survive and grow through my disappointments, right? I, I, I've got to own it and acknowledge my disappointments. I've got to refuse to get lost in my disappointments. I've got to care for and about others and allow people to care for me. Uh, and then, you know, I need to lock in on my mission. And, 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 and if you didn't know what your mission was, I just told you at least four points of your mission. Now, let's say you don't quite buy this. You say, you know, I'm not sure I'm a Christian, whatever. And I think I got something more deep than what you just said. Well, until you figure that out, use these. <laughs> Work on these. And then you figure out something better, go for it. Well, let's work on it. Come on, tell the person, use these. This is your mission. Tell them. All right, start right here. All right. The other thing you have to do, and life teaches you this as you work through disappointments, is you have to learn to adjust your expectations. That's something that disappointments is. The scripture says about Jesus when he learned that uh, when he had finished his mission as to fulfill scripture, which means John is saying that Jesus' life is intersecting with the prophetic truths of scripture. As a matter of fact, he's lived out those truths. He says, I thirst. I want to argue that this is a lot about the adjustment of expectation. Let me tell you a quick story. I was talking uh, this past uh, week with a, one of my family members who I love dearly. And we went out to breakfast together. And she was sharing with me her personal situation. She was, uh, had a knee replacement. And uh, the knee replacement went bad. Uh, the, the mechanical stuff is, we don't know, something just not put in there right. The insurance has messed all over her and won't give her what she needs to have it fixed. Her other knee is now going bad. It needs to be replaced. She's having trouble in her back. And she's just kind of trapped. She's on disability. She can't work. She wants to go to work. And so what she said to me was, she said to me, she said, no, I, Hermes, I, I just realized I'm depressed. You know, depressed is another word for disappointed. Disappointment that has settled in. And so when she shared with me, uh, her reasoning, I affirmed it. I said, you, you're right. I, I, look, if I was, I would be depressed. You have a right to be depressed. Really. Given what she's going through. So I acknowledged and I affirmed her hurt, her pain, where she was. Then I asked her for permission. I said, but, but, but could I possibly help you to kind of reshape your expectations? She says, okay, what, what do you mean? <clears throat> I want to point out that there is an unusual opportunity for you right in the middle of your difficulty. She said, what is it? I said, you can't work. She said, no, I can't. I said, so now you have all this free time. 
She says, you're right. I said, well, what about your grandkids? Now you can take a portion of this free time and you can pour it into the lives of your grandkids because there are some things that they can only get from their grandmother. So take this time and pour it into the lives of your grandkids. She says, wow, you're right. She says, she was, told me a story about uh, an experience with her grandkids where she was pouring something into their lives that only she could have given them. She said, okay. You could see her eyes begin to kind of come open a little bit. And I said, now I know you're not going to use all your time on the grandkids. So I said, you're still going to have some time left. So I said, what about volunteering? She says, well, I never thought about that. I said, yes. I said, I said rather than simply focus on what you can't do, shift your focus to what you can do. I said, isn't there some place around, she lives in Stockton, this is some place around where, you know, where there's some people who are struggling that you can, she said, wow, you're right. She says, there's a, a ranch there that uses horses to help, uh, to, to, to work with kids with disabilities. She says, I like horses, I think I'm going to go check that out. I said, that's fantastic. I said, and by the way, isn't there a Salvation Army in the area? She said, yes. And I said, don't they work with the homeless? She says, yeah. She says, yeah, I, I've often thought about working with the homeless. I said, why don't you, you know, you can use some time doing that. And I said, by the way, if you go to those two places and it doesn't really fit for you, that's not a really good fit, Google it. In other words, put it into Google. Please sh show me volunteer opportunities in my surrounding areas. If you're watching my video, volunteer opportunities, Google it. The point I was trying to make for her is, and here's the point, don't allow what you cannot do to eclipse what you can do. Don't allow missed opportunities in the past to cause you to pass over opportunities in the present. It often means, let me readjust my expectations. Let me see, it's in a kind of a practical way. Now, Jesus says, I'm thirsty. Question comes to mind. What is he talking about? Is he physically thirsty? Well, we don't have to use any of this space to conclude that if you're hanging from the cross from 12 to 3, you're being crucified, you're bleeding out, certainly you are dehydrated. So, of course, there's physical thirst. But was that all he was talking about? I don't think so. Uh, there are those who point to the fact that when he cried out, I'm thirsty, someone took some wine that had gone bad. We really became vinegar, sour wine, really vinegar, put it on a, on a stick, put it up there to his mouth there, next verse, and so that he could, he could, he could get a little taste of it. And, and there are those who argue that there was a little substance. It helped to kind of numb a little bit the pain, the suffering. So could Jesus have been crying out when he says, I'm thirsty? And in fact, I, I'm thirsty to have an end to suffering? Well, of course. Anybody who's ever is sitting in here watching my video, if you've ever been trapped in a season of suffering, you know what it's like to come to a place where you just want to say, I just want this to be over. I think there was probably more to what he was meaning than suffering. He says, I, I, I thirst. Uh, it is a, it said that uh, 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 Mother Teresa, you all, have you heard of Mother Teresa? 
Okay. It says that Mother Teresa had a plaque placed over all of the different missions that she raised up around the world. And here's what the plaque reads if you go to one of her missions. It reads, I thirst, I quench. Say that with me. I thirst, I quench. Here's, here's how Mother Teresa interpreted the depths of Jesus' cry. I thirst. What, 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 what Mother Teresa interpreted that was to say was that she was reminded that the one who cried out, I thirst, that Jesus exists in every wounded heart. He exists in every hungry soul. He exists uh, in every homeless person. He exists in the people who are in prison, the folk who are sick, the folk who are dying. And so she said that, that, that whenever she, were, she was able to love on somebody who was in need of love, she was quenching Jesus' thirst. Might I ask you, when is the last time you quenched Jesus' thirst by caring for someone in need? Could it have been that? Well, I think that was included, but I don't think that that was the totality of what he meant. Actually, the Greek, if you read, if you read it in the actual Greek, what you'll read is that the tense change. It, it actually says in the Greek, it says, uh, it, it, you know, it says Jesus have to, uh, he, he had, once he became aware that everything was completed, his mission was finished. It then says, it changes the tense and it says, uh, he is saying, I am thirsting. Come on, say it. I am thirsting. What are you thirsting for? One might ask the Savior of the world dying on the cross. Well, if, if, if I might, uh, Rick Warren's fifth point is that at the end of the day, we're, we are planned for God's pleasure. He calls that worship. Uh, uh, and, and it reminds me of what we call the, the Trinity. And one day I have to do a whole message on the Trinity. But at the end of the day, it simply means that God in totality is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's God the Creator, God the Redeemer, and God the Sustainer living in perfect harmony together. Living in, in, in one community of intimacy. One God living in community with God's self. However, Jesus is outside of that intimacy, has not known that since he's been on the earth. So I can could, I could, I could imagine when he says, I'm thirsting, that what he's saying is that, 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 that at the end of the day, my greatest pleasure is to be back into the intimacy of the Father in the way that it has been through all eternity. There's something there that I can't get from anywhere else my expectation is there well but to fully get it I think you got to step back look at how John deals with he teaches theology as he writes his book he's not just laying out a sense of history he's 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 preaching as he shapes the book of John and if you look at how he deals with because Jesus is not just fully human he's also fully God right and he lets us catch a glimpse of the deity of Jesus throughout his writing. So, for example, uh, and so he keeps us engaging Jesus with thirsting in water. Watch it. In chapter 4, shout chapter 4. 
John reminds us that on one occasion, Jesus is sitting on a well. And there's a woman who comes up. She's been married five times, and the man she's living with is not her husband. And Jesus says to her, can I have a drink of water? Translation, I'm thirsty. The woman, understanding how men are, I'm sure she thought it was a pickup line. <laughs> you women know about that, right? Yeah. I'm sure she translated it like, hey, babe. Can I have a drink of water? I'm thirsty. So she comes back at it. She says, hey, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't have any dealings together. And then Jesus says, John, catch it now. Jesus says, well, if you knew who I am, who, I, who, who am I? You would have asked me for a drink. And I would have given you living water that springs up into everlasting life. What is, what is he saying? Here's what he said. He said, look, it was a pickup line, but not the way you thought. You see, when I said I'm thirsty, come on now, I, 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 I wanted to open you up so you could realize that in fact you're thirsty. And, 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 and that's why you've been married five times. Come on now, because you're thirsty. That's why you're living with somebody now, because you've given up on marriage because you're thirsty. And, and your expectation is that in some man or in some job or in some money or in some role, you can find what you need to quench your Thirst, readjust your expectation. I'm God, come on now, in flesh. If you know who I am, ask me, I'll quench your thirst. Child, chapter four, but then go to chapter five. I'm talking about John dealing with this. We find John, chapter five, there's a fella sitting by a pool of water. And the, the, the tradition is that once a year, there's some supernatural troubling of the water. And the first one who steps in finds healing. Jesus comes up behind him. He said, hey, you want to be, be healed? The King James gets closer to the Greek. You want to be made whole? He said, well, yeah. He said, but... The water's only troubled once a year. I'm crippled. And every time I try to get there, somebody steps in in front of me. And Jesus, in plain words, said, I didn't ask you for all that. <laughs> I, I, I asked you, do you want to be made whole? Is there a piece of your sense of purpose that you're missing? Is there, is, is, is there a healing that you need that you want from the water? He, and what Jesus is saying, look, is that don't worry about stepping in the water. You're trying to find some healing in the water. I am the source of healing water. And if you know who I am, I'll make you. Shout chapter five. But then you got to go on to chapter seven. See how John is working the theology is teaching us as we catch glimpses of the day. And we find Jesus standing up in, on the day of the feast. And he's in the temple. And finally, he can't take it anymore. 
He, he, he just, he just, they don't know who he is. And so the text says, he shouts out. And he shouts out so that we can hear it echoing all the way into this sanctuary. Echoing throughout the video that's watching us today. And he says, anyone who's thirsty, let them ask of me. And out of their bellies will flow rivers, shout rivers. That's unending, come on now. Rivers of living water. And what he's trying to say to y'all is that at the end of the day, it's all right to love people, but don't put all your eggs in that bucket. It can't quench your thirst. Come on now. It's all right to have a good job, but don't put all of your eggs in that bucket because it can't fully quench your thirst. It's all right to have some money in the bank, but don't put all your eggs in that bucket because it cannot fully quench your thirst. Come on now. He's saying if you want a deep quenching of your thirst, if you want to be ministered to on a deep spiritual manner, look to me. Come on now. Out of me comes forgiveness. Out of me comes grace. Out of me comes redemption. Out of me comes hope. All right. So let me translate it. In case you don't realize, this has made me excited. Because <laughs> in some way I'm talking about my story. That when Jesus says, I am thirsty. You know, a lot of people put emphasis on the, the wine, the vinegar. They try to figure out what is that about. It's not the wine, y'all. It's the plant, the hyssop, that the wine is extended to his mouth because if you track the hyssop you'll find that back in Exodus when the final judgment sweeps across Egypt and the death angel is walking through the word gets out to Israel that if you take a Passover lamb slew it slay it and then take the hyssop plant dip it in the blood and cover the doorposts that whenever the deaf angel comes and sees the blood covering on the doorposts put that by the his soap he'll pass over grace is under the doorpost y'all ain't listening where the blood has been put there by the his soul and what john is trying to get you to see is that jesus is the ultimate passover lamb and that that, that that his blood come on now makes it possible for you and i to quench his thirst he's declaring i'm thirsty i'm dying because i'm dying to love you I'm dying to forgive you. I'm dying to save you. I'm dying to rescue you. I'm dying to transform your life. I'm dying to elevate your dreams and refocus your expectations. I'm dying for you. Tell the person next to you, he's talking about you. Tell the other person, he's talking about me. <laughs> Jesus saying, he's dying for you. You say, well, no, no, no. I cursed somebody out last night. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm dying to love you. 
and my blood can handle what you did last night. Somebody's here saying, I'm an old man now. I've lived a whole life and it's full of faults and sins and nobody trusts me. Jesus says, I'm dying for you. And don't worry about anybody trusting you. I'm ready to entrust me to you. And the simple answer today is what are you going to do with a Jesus who's dying, who's thirsting for you? And who has said to you, the boy's friends have walked out and you are alone. But Jesus said, I'm thirsting for you. Come on, you've been struggling with sexuality and all these kinds of things. But Jesus said, I'll take you just like you are. I'm thirsting for you. What are you going to do with that? I'll tell you what he wants you to do with it. He wants you to say yes. I will quench your with myself so here's what we're going to do here's a connection card this connection card under the response to the message here's what I want to challenge you to do I want to challenge you to use this weekend this week to evaluate your earthly expectations and see where adjustments need to be made And so simply, you would write, I will evaluate my expectations. I will examine and adjust my expectations. So I want you to write that. But here's what we're going in. This this here can make a difference. What I'm about to say now, if you believe me, if you believe him, can change the rest of your eternity. Jesus says, I want you to quench my thirst. So what I want you to do now is I want you to just pause on the right. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads. Can you muster enough? Don't look around. Everybody's eyes should be closed. Heads should be bowed. Jesus is saying to a broken preacher like me, it's you that I'm thirsting for. It's you. I want you just like you are. I won't leave you the way I found you, but I'll take you just like you are. And all you have to do to quench my thirst is simply to say, yes, I'll give you me as best as I can. And if you're willing to do this, every eye closed, every head bowed, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come to the front. But if you're willing to say yes, and spend the rest of your life quenching his thirst by giving you to him. Just put your hands in the air. What that means is I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. I'm going to rededicate. I see these beautiful hands, tons of hands, beautiful. Yes, yes, every head bow. Oh, look at these hands. Every head bow, every eye closed. Yes, yes. Good God. Heaven is excited right now. You said yes, and Jesus just said thank you. Lower your hands, open your eyes. There were tons of hands. If you raise your hand, all I want you to do is to check on the front of this card. I commit or rededicate my life to Jesus. It's it's on the front. All you have to do is the first step. I have done it. Or maybe you're not ready to take that step, but you want to learn more. Check that and turn this card in. Fill out that other response I told you. And leave out of here knowing that you 
you've taken first step into quenching Jesus' life's thirst with your life. Say amen. Amen.